0: <laughs> can also be really writing series.
1: To the writing of Kim Schreiber this year, and it's my honor to introduce you to her, to her work to you tonight. Kim Schreiber's stories are synesthetic; they ask us to imagine zippers of sound, to realize how a spoon could be kind. In short, they ask us to get weird with them. But theirs is a lyric kind of weird—a weird that is acutely attuned to both a sixth sense and a social sensitivity. Cross-fading, tactile and taste, airy and claustrophobic, empathic and emoji, quiet but <laughs> volatile and vibrant and involved. Her pieces are embedded with an awareness that aches. Each one carries traces of their author's deep attention to the world's soft pulses of data and desire, to the slow and accidental horror of having a body. But these stories do not fear their edges or their interiorities. They deftly elude us and yet still reverberate. Just when I get the feeling the key to unlocking each story is sewn into its secret pockets, then the key turns out to be a tuning fork. Hmm. One of the best things about following Kim's work this year was to witness the development of her new series titled How It Works. How It Works offers the instructions that I didn't know I was missing. The series works by breaking, breaking open Defines the twisting spine in an ice cube tray and the dragonfly in the broken heart. It is a manual to make the, make, to make the familiar uncanny and the intricate intimate. Basically, it's like Ikea meets the Museum of Dress technology.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no matter
1: if it arrives in strange loops or text messages or from the swallowing throat, her writing instructs us how to look closer, get a little uncomfortable, by new language for the calm and the calamity around us. I, for one, would take instructions from Kim any day. Please <laughs>
2: welcome <laughs> a wonderful country.
0: turn on some music, Uh, a second vibe or something, Um, and the Wi-Fi. (laughs) I think we should all relax. I feel an intense relaxation when I listen to this piece my brain experiences an intimate pins and needles sensation as though I'm high. Because it's not just music, and it's not just water. It flows from your throat up to your cranial, down to your pituitary gland, through the nervous system to, I could listen to this piece all day. Some days I do. Before we get started, I want to give you a little background on me and my experience in this landscape. Nonstop and Solar Beach have been badly scarred by overdevelopment. The glut of awfully tacky bars are full of disappointed looking packaged tourists. Tragically, this formula is being repeated all along the Black Sea coast. Which isn't being damaged as much as devoured. I wanted to take some time to share some contextual background because, you know, we live wherever we want to think about. It. This is a really important conversation right now. Modern technology and modern media have scattered our attention spans and left us with an inability to focus so that while we're expected to accomplish more and more varied tasks throughout the day, the less present and engaged we become with each individual task. This is a chart depicting hyperactive growth. I think this is a story of acceleration, the result of which is that our stories get shorter and shorter, so that you may be happy. Now that our attention spans are so short, I cut up my stories. I stored them inside my cell phone. For later processing or for never. Now that our attention spans are so short, I cut up my stories. Now that our attention spans are so short, there are hardly any words left in the story, because I wanted to tell the truth about what's left in my memory. I remember the most about my friends who archive their experiences as they are living them in the most gorgeous of ways. It's important because those sensations are contagious, science says. Now that our attention spans are so short, I can neither archive nor write, and my stories are smaller and smaller and more cut up. Which makes sense because I suffer from a bit of a split personality anyway. I'm not myself usually. Sometimes I do life excellently, and sometimes years go by when I forget how to do anything at all. These moments when I do life most poorly are like glitches. The record jumps and my interior and exterior narratives do not align. Which is hard for me, because reading anything, even that which does not express itself through language, is an emotional experience. Every word gets lifted out of neutral and it's designed to inhabit my experience, and talk through my forms of expression. When this happens, I usually try to psych myself out of being Kim. I try to step outside the architecture of my own body. I try to build a wall. I try to have an out-of-body experience so that the person experienced as I tunes into the avatar called Kim. These cuttings are from a cactus store in LA called Cactus Store. (laughs) That's my friend and boyfriend. This is how you start something from scratch. You get something big and you cut it into small pieces. One more thing before we really get started. I feel like I should tell you that I was hit by a car my second week in school while I was riding my bike. Let's call 2014 the year of the body. These are x-rays of my back and neck after the accident. These pictures are practically famous by now. (laughs) It's so strange to think that there's a skeleton under my skin. I so rarely think of a skeleton as covered by anything. Let's call 2014 the year of the body. The year of anxiety and panic and adrenaline. Some days, I just wanted to lay in bed. That lay in bed could have been an hour or a month or a year. But when I thought about being home laying in bed, neither work nor play, new to town, my bed became a negative not space, less of a room and more of a hole, less a recovery and more a reaction. There are many kinds of tired, and I know all of them. Physical pain is often not local but psychological. It amplifies. My doctor told me that the spine remembers everything. And when it suffers any kind of trauma, those memories are unlocked. But those memories are not normal memories. They do not look like normal memories. They are bone memories. The body is a hackable machine. I'm not sure where I'm going with all of this. It's just that this question of what happened and what's happening seems relevant somehow. And I want to feel relevant. Survey. A rose is a rose. Or is it? What's your favorite sonnet? What's your favorite chade song? Why? Can you check the result? Can you derive the result differently? Can you use the result? Why? Why ask why? When I was a child, I had another very physical feeling. I called it the feeling. It was a kind of nausea that formed a moving viscous ball at the bottom of my stomach. It came and went without explanation. These things make you think about what it means to have a personality. I mean, in this situation, who was at the wheel of the ship? Once a friend took ayahuasca and the Earth Mother appeared to him. She told him to share his experience with others. He said, who should I share this with? He saw an image of me at the helm of a boat sailing over a long, dark ocean. She said, I want to talk to Kim. This is a picture of my mother. I don't know my mother. I know my mother was a refugee and came to this country on a boat over a long dark ocean. That's all I know about my mother. Question, how much and how often do you think of me? Let's call 2014 the year of the body because I'd forgotten I had a body. Everything was happening up here, in my brow chakra, a head with a head of hair floating over it. Question, who else has experienced this? To answer this question, I turned to my most trusted data source. (laughs) I started to put together an idea of how this works. In general, I became very obsessed with that question, how it works. I just think that's the most important question, you know? At least, it's very relevant. And I want to be relevant. And I found her. A woman who got turned on. (laughs) Let's go there.
2: I'll go with you.
0: It's my favorite place to be. I think it has the prettiest view of all. Prettier than if there were more there. Much prettier than if there were nothing there at all. Whenever I'm in this place, I remember my body and forget about time.
2: More photos you're taking with the
0: <laughs> I started my research on these websites. Flickr. Pinterest and Wikipedia. You should always choose your sources carefully. <laughs> because they have a lot of energy, these stupid ideas. They have a lot of erratic energy, these stupid ideas. Here's a few sample how it works pieces. How it works me. How it works me. How it works me. Jared. How it works, me. How it works, meme. And how it works, meat. One more time, me. Meme. meme. And meat. <laughs> it flows through your heart and reaches your entrails. You could probably see her today in that pose by the pool, like. Your quintessential chill, Southern California girl.
2: (laughs) 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 And she's a meme.
0: By the side of the meme pool. She's an iteration, a version of a version, and an endless reflection. So LA. (laughs) Nowadays, images are all about swag. The objects we use to speak through us function as hieroglyphs. This is something I've really been meditating on lately.
2: <laughs> they transmit emotional
0: content. Only some of us can decipher this. To define it would be to over-determine it, so let's protect it, even at the risk of donation of the body to corporate cosmology. This is a maternal gesture. Nowadays, we are one giant eyeball, and she is an idol. And we look at her, this slow revelation of parts, and we can never know the whole body anymore. And a piece of meat isn't really a piece of meat until you eat it. And you never really know the whole body. Work. My work is to preserve the idea of continuity which, in the accumulatory deluge of relevant information, will surely forget. They say that the Ark is the body, the original museum, for the amnesia of the unresolvable present for when our clairvoyance was lost. In the Torah, the vertebrae of the spine are counted among the 248 limbs of the body, each which corresponds to an instrument that sings its purpose, of which the spinal cord corresponds to their very soul or vital force. You know, the spine remembers everything. And when your spine is injured, those memories are unlocked. They are released. They are not normal memories but in terms of how it works, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It seems that everything today is designed to break. And the internet is going to give you a lot of very confusing information if you don't already know what it is you're looking to say. And I didn't really write much because I only wanted to write what was true, but I could only identify the glitches. The more pressure I felt, the smaller my pieces became. In the end, I didn't write much at all. There's so much information, and I don't know what to do with it. Once my friend was walking down the street and saw a pair of pants abandoned over a steaming grate with $20 sticking out of the pocket. She walked past it, feeling slightly threatened by it, but then decided to turn around, whereupon she saw a woman reaching for the $20. A few days later, I had a rhyming experience, but this time, the person right in front of me picked up the $5 before I could. I spent a long time meditating on the value of this situation, what it could mean. I think that it says something about the rewards of passive receptivity. It also says something about identity. When you're in a familiar situation, you can compose yourself within your own environment. You can exchange with more grace and nuance the mimetic currency of who you are for aura, but when you're in an unfamiliar environment, It's more difficult to surf the unknown codes that come your way, their internal reflections and characteristics of the trance. This is a graph of a theory my grandfather and father published in the 80s. And that's a picture of my grandparents when they were younger than I am now. It's called Anatomy of a Critical Incident. My grandfather explained it to me after he had a stroke this past Christmas. I flew home to see him, even though it was the first few months of school and everything was so crazy. It's a really complicated theory. Basically, a hole in a walkway represents a hazard because a person may fall into the hole and become injured. The best safety measure is obviously to either close the hole or cover the hole, which would prevent the accident completely. Under certain circumstances, this may not be possible. As an alternative, the hole may be cushioned with airbags so that no injury occurs if someone should fall into the hole. (laughs) A further alternative is a sign warning of the existence of the hole. My grandfather and I have many differences. He likes to say he taught me everything important, how to shoot a gun, how to swim, and how to ride a bike. My grandmother taught me that we're in two adjoining cells, and we each have these teaspoons, and with these spoons we've invented a code, and we tap this code onto the wall, which is why our messages sometimes seem so short and telegraphic. But it's important to note that there are other walls, other prisoners, and other codes to tap onto the walls. I think that there's a vulnerability to St. Therese, even though it's not explicitly stated. She's a smart girl in crisis, who's smart enough not to let anyone in on the fact that she's in crisis, even if she has to name that crisis, just to create some kind of context for her performance. It's like by telling everyone about her crisis, she creates a space for it to be appropriate, so then she can manage their expectations and remain in control. Circle is a loving gesture, unless you see the hole in it, the emptier you'll feel. To this, I would like a more synesthetic relationship to the world. There's a green door to your right, turn left at this corner, around the post. Watch out for the furniture. The furniture flows into the ground. Some of what I've said today might reinforce what you see in front of you, so that my description parallels the voice inside your own head. Yes. There is a green door. Yes, there is a corner. I'll turn left. You are lulled into complacency, but then bam, there's a disjunction. What happened to the bike? (laughs) I'm not sure why this technique interests me, but I think it works to push and pull people in and out of the experience. It's a trance technique. Then there are devices that block out the world completely. One fish, one garden, to fish, to garden. These images were not made out of the blue. Originally, I wanted to register perceptual changes as much as I wanted to project the whole index of my friendships, but some things only the air knows. Certain things float in, and certain things become lost. Thanks. Marco Antonio Huerta is a Mexican translator and post-conceptual poet. During the summer of 2009, he decided to kill his own lyrical self. I think it's been reborn in this cat. (laughs) (laughs) Fluke. When I asked Marco how long he'd been writing poetry, he told me that his affair with the printed page began when he was 23 years old. He has a long list of publications, But I wanted to share with you all some of Marco's finest and least known work, his hashtag poem. (laughs) Well, you can tell I spend a lot of time on my phone, but not as much time as Marco. Studying Marco's Instagram has taught me everything I ever need to know about repetition. And <laughs> it's amazing that this poem only has 18 likes. <laughs> I thought it would be nice if we all read this poem out loud, together,
2: <laughs> including the hashtags. Please. <laughs> Hashtag
0: Tiwana. Hashtag one BC. Hashtag one Bound. Mexico. Hashtag, do you want to dark? Hashtag, do you me happy? Hashtag, do makes me hungry? Hashtag, silly chariot. Hashtag, border crossing. Hashtag, red snapper. Hashtag, tostada. Hashtag, watch, mango. Hashtag, bahamed. Hashtag, cosina. Hashtag, cuisine. But also, it has been my absolute pleasure and blessing to work with and get to know Marco this past year. I and my writing and my reading are forever changed. Um, Please welcome Marco Antonio.
3: share this experience with some of my students as well. Um, thank you for being here, y'all. I'm going to read some poems, some writings that I've come up with over this present year. So, you're right. oh, you. <laughs> dear, man am sit, sitting in the highest and most honorable seat. How many voices in your head are you listening to while using the majestic us? Could they be many, a few, too many, just a bunch? Do you come here alone? (laughs) Can we speak to you two? Are we authorized to be your speakers? What do you mean if I'm clear? Do you think the price of gas is high enough? Do you come here often? How about basic food? Do you think it's affordable for everyone? So that means famine and starvation are over? How much would a kilo of tortillas cost? What about rent? The taxes you most certainly are entitled to set in order to look and move on to the future. As a species? As people? As cattle? What are you up to? What about insurance? people disappear nowadays. Are you aware of that? Is that something you would say, it's a common thing? Are you in a constant state of awareness and alert on the matter? Did you come here alone? How would you say your justice system is holding? How was it doing the last time you saw? Is it in good health? No. Is it terminal? What are your plans for tonight? Some people call you primus enterprise. Are you okay with that? What are your favorite hobbies? Are we equal? What about your people? What do you say ours? Will you say ours is a country where skin color won't make a difference? How about the size of the wallet? Does it? I heard we were fighting a war a few years back, but you mentioned it no more. Is it because we won? Not yet. Then, how's it going? What side are we in? Will we win if I join you? Do you prefer die or ten? Years? So where are we at war, right? Could you slowly explain to me what is really, really, really going on? As if I'm dumb or numb? Have you been here before? In that case, would we be left behind anyways? Is there a place for us in progress? Are we entitled for a share of profit from selling the nation to foreign interests? What do you mean it was never ours to claim? What do you want to do with all the money? Would you build a house? Do you like summer country houses? So that means the deal's off. Was there another secret deal we're not aware of? So I take it it's all those voices in your head. What do you think about skin cancer? Diabetes? pulmonary and heart disease? What about lead intoxication, lead from bullets? What does it say on your medical records? What are your plans for the weekend? What is your take on the current affairs of the nation? Would you say you and me would make love in a bed if we met in a completely different situation? Are you feeling lonely? What do you understand by power? Is it a luxury item to you? Is it a privilege? Is your power worldly, vulgar, mundane? Can you build a house or houses with it? Can it restore world peace? Do you find me attractive? Are you interested in forming a family? How long have you been through the valley of death? What do you mean you're not single? How much longer until we're safe? Safer, at least? Do you like dogs, or are you a cat person? <laughs> what do you mean by plans against humanity? Is there something rotting in your trunk? Obviously, long, but not particularly thick. And this poem, there's a. Uh, sign featuring? Okay, who or where did the myth of the big black cock come from? Who started it? Did black men themselves start it? Why didn't any other culture claim that stereotype or myth? <laughs> if I told him, would he like it? Would he like it? I told him. <laughs> I recently downloaded some porn, and it was this black guy. This guy's cock was gigantic. Absolutely huge, fucking gigantic. I would estimate to 25 plus inches. He could only masturbate the tip and was holding at arm's length. The girth looked as big as my bicep as its biggest. He was grunting and growling and these two white girls were in front of him. He won and it sprayed more cum than I have ever seen in my life. It was like a hose, it looked like five pints came out. No bullshit. How can a Allsat carry that amount of cum? He was completely drenching these girls, just gallons of the stuff. They were sweating and then it stopped. The girls then took his cock in their mouths and started squirting out another pint. How is this possible? (laughs) This guy is a very surely. This page has been deleted. The location and mood love for the page are provided below for reference. I was told it started during slavery. It had to come from somewhere. I know that not all black men have big cups, but the myth carries on strong even today in this internet-based world. Very funny. His real name is Tony Duncan, and his size is listed between 14 to 18 inches. He has great difficulty sustaining an erection. Fact of the matter, guys who are over 9 inches very often experience erectile problems. Not a good thing. Too much of a good thing is that, you know? The largest <laughs> performer in the all-Aventurist G who can sustain an erection is Mandingo. <laughs> Just about all the other big boys at some time or another go soft while performing. It's actually not Teddy Duncan in this video. Teddy Duncan does have an 18-inch top, but not this in this particular video. OG Mudbone is the actor in this video, and a damn good actor at that, lol. (laughs) He's crazy as hell, and only packing about 14 inches around. Smiley (laughs) face. Just search Black cock" on the internet, and see how many questions come up out of his eyes, and if it's true or not. I look at porn and pop culture, and that's what you see and hear. From the character Jerome, a family guy, to to comedians, and so forth. Obviously long, but not particularly thick. In fact, most women can't fit anything larger than a 7.5 inches curve in their mouths. So the very fact that he's getting blowjobs kind of narrows it down.
2: <laughs>
3: Regardless, 7.5 inches would still be huge, but at 14 to 18 inches, you're going to have odd proportions no matter what. <laughs> feeling full for it, exactly as kings, so to beseech you as full as for it, exactly or as kings, shutters shut and open, so do queens, like I said before. (laughs) If it's true or not, it has stopped with black men all these years, why? If the girls are in a lot of pain, the sex isn't fun. John Jeremy is nine and a half inches, and it goes soft on him all the time. Rather pathetic, poor bastards. LOL, just saw that porn today. It was all right. All I know is I have found that both white men and black men come in all sizes. The largest I have had was white, and it was 10 and a half inches. I miss him. <laughs> Sad face. <laughs> These are called monster cops, and I have seen one where a skinny girl takes the lot and begs for more. Some girls do like these big ones. As presently, as expected, as strings, as strings, as strings, as strings, as strings, presently proportions, presently as proportions, as presently, farther and farther, was the king or room, farther and whether. Just an attachment of a sexual mystique by sexually repressed by people, based on nothing except the needing to create a sexual fantasy to get off on. It's funny, because the biggest date in the world, making the world record largest, belongs to a man. Whoa, I guess stereotypes are just bad. <laughs> LOL, you sound hot. You should hook up with black people, not to be discriminating. LOL. Um, for the following piece, I'm going to need your help. The title of this piece is Todos Somos, Jose Luis Varga uh, which translates roughly to, we are all Jose Luis Varga. If you don't know who this person is, you're about to know. So I'll ask you to repeat, I was a dance, I was a dance, I was, I was a, a dance. dance. And I did not hear about the confrontation. And I, I did not hear about, about the confrontation. Todos somos Jose Lisa Barca. I'm not gonna. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna mark the moment where you're getting in. Thank you. Todos somos Jose Lisa Barca. In the newspapers, Jose Lisa Barca Velasquez, mayor of Iguale de Mexico, he said he did not give the order to the local police to fire upon the normal, schools, normal school students. He acknowledged that he was with his wife in a festival held by the office of the Wallace First Lady. I watched a dance, and I did not hear about the confrontation. He said... He was not aware of the acts of violence where six students from the normal school of Adeltsinapa were killed and 43 are still missing because he was dancing. I wasn't so dance and I, did, I not did not hear about the confrontation. Jose Luis Abarca explained he had no information of police detainees and neither knows anything about the missing student teachers. The state attorney general also has not informed him anything about the 22 arrested policemen or the disappeared normalistas. I was at a dance and I did not hear about the confrontation. The journalist Diego Enrique Osorno said the students are young men with very humble origins. They are scholars who read on average two or three books a week other than their class materials and are also interested in the social and political problems of their communities. The students are informed and critic. They also tend to be so idealistic and consistent with what they think. They are often looking to do something to change things. Yes, Agiotinapa is a school of social activists. I was at a and, and I, I did, did not hear, hear about the confrontation. confrontation. Father Solaminde said that the slaughter of Iwala was not caused by a football game. I was at a dance, and I did not hear about the confrontation. They were injured, and they were wounded, burned, alive. They poured diesel on them. That is going to be known. They say that they put up with two. Some of them were still alive, other than. I was at a dance, and I did not hear about the confrontation. Rosario Castellanos once wrote about another tragedy years ago. Darkness breeds violence, and violence calls for darkness to commit the crime. So September 26th waited until nighttime, so no one would see the hand holding the weapon. But only its lightning would effect. I was in a dance, and I did not hear about the confrontation. And in that light, short and pale, who? Who is the killer? Who are dying? Who are those agonizing? The ones fleeing without shoes? Who are going to fall into the pit of a prison? who are rotting in a hospital, who are the ones who will remain silent forever in horror. I was at a dance, and I did not hear about the confrontation. I remember. We remember. This is our way of helping dawn over so many tainted consciences, over an angry text on an open grave. Over the face behind the mask, I remember, we remember, until justice claims her seat among us. I was at the once, dance, and, and I, did I did not hear about the confrontation. The now former mayor of Iguala, Jose Luis Abarca Velasquez, and his wife, Maria de los Ángeles de Abarca Pineda, await indictment. In Mexico, reality nowadays is a pending investigation. I was really not sure about doing this, but um, uh, I'm going to read something that I've been writing in Spanish this year. So, I know not everyone speaks in Spanish, but so I mean, una okay. Balacera en Reynosa grabada por sicarios. Un grupo de presuntos sicarios grabó una balacera en Reynosa y subió el video a YouTube. Video interno de sus odiosos terribles. Un grupo de hombres armados disparando armas de grueso calibre detrás de una camioneta blindada. Los pistoleros retan a sus oponentes con gritos como Acá estamos, perros. Mientras que otro ordena disparar ráfagas de 50 tiros. Además de armas largas, uno de los sicarios dispara lo que parece un fusil Barrett calibre 50, seguido del aplauso y festejo de sus compañeros. El aplauso y festejo de sus compañeros.
4: Tamaulipas
3: ha sido escenario de varios enfrentamientos desde hace semanas que han dejado decenas de muertos Presuntamente por una disputa interna del cártel del Golfo. Balaceras en Reynosa grabada por sicarios. Usuarios de redes sociales reportaron una serie de bloqueos y balaceras en Reynosa. Incluso el ayuntamiento pidió a través de su cuenta de Twitter evitar zonas de riesgo, bloqueos y balaceras en Reynosa. Semáforo rojo. Sector Cumbres, La Cima, Aslan, Fuentes, Hashtag, Reinosafollow, Evite el área fue como advirtió el gobierno municipal. También se reportó que el Boulevard Hidalgo sufrió bloqueos en ambas direcciones. Esto se da después de que en la mañana desconocidos lanzaron una granada que no estalló frente a las instalaciones de la Secretaría de Seguridad Pública en Reinos. Bloqueos y balaceras. Bloqueos en ambas direcciones. El explosivo, según versiones extraoficiales, fue lanzado desde un vehículo en marcha que circulaba por el boulevard Morelos. Bloqueos y balaceras, bloqueos en ambas direcciones. Una granada que no estalló. Personal del ejército acudió al lugar para recoger el artefacto y asegurar la zona. Muchas gracias. Um, it's my turn to introduce uh, another one of our first years. Ken is a first year in the MFA program. Ken is a first year coach writer in the MFA program. Ken is a first year coach writer in the MFA program who is really interested in stories. Ken is interested in stories, in narrative and how stories get told, how the meaning changes, in the telling and over time. Ken is a prose writer interested in telling stories, in the retelling of... In, in, retel- in the in the retelling stories, in revising stories and breaking them. Ken is a prose writer who tells stories and is interested in experimenting with long narrative prose, fiction, and memoir, in documentary fiction and research-based writing, in Fragmenting, Fracturing, something. He's interested in the way stories secrete, how they layer, how they interrupt and intervene and intertwine. Ken is a recovering academic. He <laughs> had whole careers studying literature, teaching it, but never the desire to write it. Ken left teaching about nine years ago, and in that time worked in social services, working with the homeless mentally ill, with people coming out of jail with HIV, and as a case manager at the UCSD hospital. This was what got him interested in writing. Came, Ken came to UCSD in search of his tribe, and finally his form. His work explores addiction and incarceration both literally, both metaphorically. Homelessness, shame, and violence. The memoir, and the polyvocal intertextual, intertextual writing. He is interested in experimenting with long narrative prose form, but his exploration of form are not about form or not only about form. He takes his form personally, his warmth of for form,
4: and wants to see
3: how many voices he can crown into a single eye, and how many texts he can use in a single story. He has accomplished very little, of
2: note in the way, <laughs> <laughs> of presentation or publication.
3: He's honored to be part of the MFA program. Please help me welcome amazing writer and joyous friend, Ken Zaragoza. Ha, ha, ha.
4: So I just wanted to say uh, it's really a, an honor to be reading today, but also uh, uh, thank you, Marco, for the introduction. Um, but the most amazing thing about being in this program is working with and getting to know a lot of really amazing writers, not just the ones you're hearing today, but also all of the amazing writers in the second and third year. I mean, it's really, um, it's overwhelming to be a part of this group. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's been a wonderful experience. And I, I also wanted to thank the faculty, they've been tremendous. Um, So this year I've been doing a lot with the memoir form, um, and uh, these aren't exactly about memoirs. Uh, There aren't exactly memoirs about me. There's me in them, there's people I know, there are things I imagine, there are things I borrow from things I read, um, and there are things that I'm just you know, I wish would happen or I'm terrified about happening. And they all go into these memoirs. So the first piece is a uh, uh, random excerpt from Um, I'm sorry, yeah This is how my mind works (laughs) Um, This first piece is random excerpts from work I did in Ben Dollar's workshop in the winter Uh, The longer piece is in the form of letters written from prison Just to warn you, the language in here is not all mine I borrow pretty liberally from a range of texts but I want in this piece to use as many stories as I can to tell a single story So here is some stuff from that piece Irena, what do you think of this poem? The working title is Self Pity, but I think I may title the book Self Aggrandizement. I am a man firmly entrenched in middle age, reeking of stale sweat, sweat, unfulfilled promise, and frustrated ambition, imprisoned by choices, actions, and country. I suppose it's a common feeling. It's okay to laugh right now. I wrote it to make you laugh. But still, I am 40 and single. I left a great job on bad terms right before they showed me the door. My parents cry every time they see me. I put needles in my arms for years, and I haven't for months. I'm a convicted felon serving my sentence by writing bad poetry. I think that calls for self-pity. I'm a spent firework, but at least I've been a firework. I'm not the type of inmate who works out and rips pictures of women from magazines to toothpaste onto my bunk. I'm the kind of inmate who listens to NPR and reads the New Yorker. I'm doing a sentence, writing a sentence, breaking into sentence, breaking out with sentence, serving a sentence, and just marking time. This week, seven marines were arrested for murder in Hondia province. The youngest is 19 and from San Diego. His mother said in an interview that he is almost always in shackles and that the Marine Brig just granted permission for the inmates to go outside for an hour each day to play basketball. Up until recently, he was only allowed to see his family through a plastic partition, but they just received permission to hug. I can't tell you, she said, how good it was for my heart to have that physical contact. He who would do battle with the many-headed hydra of human nature must pay a world of pain and his family must pay it along with him. And only as you gasp your dying breath shall you understand. Your life amounted to no more than one drop in a limitless ocean. Yet what is, what is any ocean but a multitude of drops? This week, three Guantanamo detainees killed themselves. You can't call them prisoners because they technically haven't been arrested or charged. The government is saying that they killed themselves to disrupt the interrogation process and is calling it an act of terror. Human rights activists say that they were suicides, motivated by despair and desperation because they've been locked up for who knows how long, can't contact anyone they know or love, and that if it were you, what would you do? Now there's an argument. It was suicide. No, it was terrorism. An act of war. No, an act of despair. Every day as I get older, I marvel at how much bravery it takes to go on, to bear the blows of existence so often delivers. This week, the National Prison Commission issued a report on staff sexual abuse of prison inmates. A judge in California called the conditions of the county jails deplorable, and is threatening to put them in receivership. Is it just me, or is this a big news week for prisons? I am alone, alone here and alone in the world, alone in my heart and alone in my mind, alone everywhere, all the time, for as long as I can remember. Alone with my family, alone with my friends, alone in a room full of people. Alone when I wake, alone through each awful day, alone when I finally meet the blackness. I am alone in my horror. Alone in my horror. Andrew and I are unlikely friends. He's a big guy, huge, and he spends almost every day working out or playing basketball. I spend my day reading and writing. He's been in gangs. I've been in writing groups. But he likes to sit with me. Talk with me. Ask me what I'm doing. He sees me and I see him. And sometimes he sits so close, I can see a single drop of sweat work its way all the way down the center of his chest, all the way down until I can't see it anymore. The terror of the battlefield, the cruelty he witnessed, and the damage to his proudest beliefs were a weight always holding him a step back from life. Yet I grant him the one grace we can ask as humans. He had done his very best. I think Andrew's sweet, and I think, in secret, he's tender. I like imagining this strong man turn tender with me. But he might not be tender, and if it happens, and after it's done, he might not regard me tenderly. People turn mean after sex. Men do. Andrew might. This is a letter I'll write, but won't send, at least not to Andrew. But I'll send it to you. I'm watching him right now playing basketball with his shirt off, And every once in a while, he catches my eye and shoots me a smile. Maybe in a minute, he'll come over and ask me what I'm writing. And I'll tell him it's a letter. And I'll say it's to him. Or I'll say, it's about you. And maybe he'll think a little, nod a little, ask with a smile, yeah, what's it say? And I'll shrug, and I'll fold it, and hand it to him, and say, read it later, after lockdown, tonight. Other writers, Villon Cervantes Verlaine, have suffered imprisonment, Villon even suffered torture, or, like Dante, suffered exile without their creative powers being effective. Indeed, they often wrote their best work after disaster. But for Wilde, while, the double life had been the exciting thing. A bohemian in secret and in public, the lion of respectable drawing rooms. When the drawing rooms withdrew their invitations, he lost the will to live and write. For the first year of my imprisonment, I did nothing else and can remember doing nothing else but wring my hands in infinite despair and say, What an ending. What an appalling ending. Now I try to say to myself, and sometimes, when I am not torturing myself, do really and sincerely say, What a beginning. What a wonderful beginning. It may really be so. It may become so. I can write a novel by just showing up and getting in a few pages a day. Prison could be the ultimate writer's colony, with financial support and limitless free time. On one side is an enormous well of depression waiting to be given over to, a voice in the head that says, you are unloved and therefore unlovable. And on the other hand, a daily page minimum and a copy of War and Peace and a belief that work can be salvation and that the life of the mind can set you free. So what do you think of this poem, Irena? The working title is Self-Pity, but I think I may title the book self-aggrandizement <laughs> um, and so I gotta shift up the powerpoints here, sorry um. Um, this next piece is something that I uh, wrote in Ray Armentrout's workshop in the fall my mistake That's not it, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Every day so I could play with them. Winters in Nebraska are cold, and they make all the houses look pretty. Snow blankets the yard, even the shabby ones with patchy lawns, and they all look clean and white like frosting on a cake. My street looks just like a street on TV. My friends were Gilligan, the Skipper, the Professor, Samantha and Darren Stevens, the Brady's. I had a little boy crush on the Professor, but I didn't know it at the time. I noticed that he was handsome, with his shirt unbuttoned, just a little, just enough. Plus, he was smart, and nobody made fun of him. At school, I used to read a lot, every time I had a second. While the other kids were noisy, rowdy with whatever, I'd sit in a corner and read, and get so lost, I had to be startled out of it. They thought that was really funny, how I jumped when my name was called, or someone tapped me on the shoulder. I read during recess, I read during lunch, and I read standing in line. I even went walking home from school. The elementary school was at the edge of the neighborhood. After school, all the kids streamed, went up a hill, then split off onto our different streets. We walked together in small packs. I walked with them, by myself, up a hill, left into our development, then turned right, then right again to get to my house. After school, I always saw the Stevens first. I loved spending time with them. Samantha was pretty and smart and just really neat. They had a little girl, Tabitha. She was okay. But after they had Adam, they weren't as much fun. The Stevens were a mixed family, too, but they hid it better than mine did. People could just tell that my family was mixed, but nobody ever talked about it. People didn't say interracial back then. The Stevens looked normal, just like everyone. I mean, people suspected, but they couldn't prove anything. I understood them how they wanted to keep their difference to themselves, and I'm sure they would have understood me, but I'm not sure because we never talked about it. Winters in Nebraska are cold. The snow on the streets turns into a thick brownish sludge from the gray and smoky exhaust and the dirty, oily underside of cars. My parents liked when I played with the other kids, but I was smaller than they were and shy and dark and had straight black hair. I stood out. I was noticed and teased. And I didn't like that. In Nebraska, in my town, everyone's dad is in the military. Mine is, too. But everyone's dad is white, and mine isn't. And everyone's dad was taller than mine, bigger. I also really liked the Bradys. Bobby and Cindy were my age, so I should like them the most. But really, I liked their older brother, Peter, the best. I liked how he smiled. And I used to imagine what it would be like if we got to spend time together, just me and him. That made me happy. I never told him. But he was my secret best friend. I liked coming home from school. When I walked in the door, my mother dropped whatever she was doing to come see me, saying in Japanese or English, or welcome home, which is probably normal in Japan. Then I got to watch TV and eat the snacks my mother made, usually senbei, Japanese rice crackers which I love, or saltines with Kraft American cheese folded into squares. I thought that was so fancy until I went to college and I learned that craft didn't make real cheese. In winter, it's hard to read and walk at the same time. The snow and sludge make the ground uneven and sometimes really slick. It's hard to hold a book open wearing mittens, and I have to stop every time I need to turn a page. I have to hold the book open in one hand, take a mitten off with my teeth so I can free a hand to turn the page, and then fumble the mitten back on and not drop the book. Winters in Nebraska are cold. Even wrapped in a thick blue parka with a hood that wraps tightly around my face, I still feel cold and small. One day when I was in third grade, a group of kids called out, hey, hey you, hey, what you reading? They must have been 11 or 12. They were huge. This happened a lot. They called, I looked around, and they laughed hysterically. Sometimes it was so funny, other kids laughed too. So I pretend not to hear. And after a while, they move on. This time, I wasn't a joke in passing. A couple kids started, but then it became more and larger, three kids or six or ten. This time, I wasn't a passing joke. They didn't like being ignored, and the older and bigger and louder kids wouldn't stop until I did something. Kenny, a big boy, yelled, and another, a girl, chimed in with a syrupy, drawn-out, What you reading? Is it Chinese? Laughter. Chink! And hey, Jack! And what's wrong with your eyes? Lots of laughter. Why is your mom taught funny? Not so much laughter, just me. Ching chong dong fong, what does that mean? I kept walking, my head locked down in my book, focused furiously on the words on the page. I was a drum major, leading a degrading parade, up a hill, and to the left, and right, and then right again, down to the street, right to my house. One of them hopped, loud and nasty, and let fly a big wad of spit. I felt it hit the back of my head, heard it, felt it, and then heard it again, and felt it again, hawking and spitting again and again, That spit, then handfuls of heavy, wet sludge aimed at my back, spittle and sludge, flack on my back, and heard it slide, slow and nasty, down the slick nylon. Winters in Nebraska are cold. Spit congeals in thick, gray ropes when it freezes down the back of a heavy blue parka. When I came home, my mother froze in the middle of her greeting, froze at my eyes, red with shame, froze at my face, dark with held back tears. What happened? What's wrong? she asked, the best she could in her heavy Japanese accent. I threw my parka down on the floor and screamed at, you, at her, I hate you! Leave me alone! and ran for the TV. It's a good feeling when you're able to find people who like Play the kinds of things you like to play that's one thing that helps to make friends playing together it's such
2: a good feeling to know you're alive it's such a happy
3: feeling, feeling. you're growing inside and when you wake up ready to say I think I'll make a snappy new day it's such a good feeling a very good feeling. Feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you.
4: And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will too. Thank you. weekly, named, um, named Sarah Siston of, one of its best writers without a book, but happily, that is an accolade she will have to see. Her new book, Song of Ourselves, is being published by Quiet Lightning Books out of San Francisco. She describes it as a lyric novel that considers the search for community on every scale, that asks how to live a connected life in a disconnected age, and how an individual voice is formed in the din of context. On a broader scale, Sarah's work is an extended investigation of network subjectivities and her work interrogates how text behaves as a space of relational aesthetics, both analog and digital, and investigates communities and relationships that are gendered or othered and those that are networked, digital, hybrid, simultaneously. Her work is actually an astonishing, um, she displays an astonishing array of interests Her writing ranges from the neolyrical to the digital and conceptual. She deals with topics ranging from messed up relationships to galaxies and stars. It's really hard to describe how amazing I think Sarah is. Sarah hails from the Midwest and comes to to UCSD by USC's creative writing major, um, and she founded and ran Bootleg Books, an editing and design studio that helps independent authors and publishers go rogue. She has been published in Z-Y-Z-Z-Y-V-A, Zizva. Zizva. <laughs> a Arroyo Review, Pocology, and elsewhere. Thoughtful Sarah, Insightful Sarah, Meticulous Sarah, Curious Sarah, Risky Sarah, Surprising Sarah. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Sarah Sistan. <laughs>
1: up and thankful to be here. Um, thank you to Anna Joy and Ben and Christina and Ray and Tanya and all of the MFA gang for uh, having
2: the, I just, I'm, I'm excited. Um, and especially thank you to Kim, Queen of the New
1: Writing Series. And thank you to all the partners, friends, and tolerators of us on this journey this year. I'm going to read one ancient artifact and then I thought I'd read the three like three pieces that I've written this year one in each quarter um, I picked the ones that I'm the most curious to hear and the ones that I'm still not sure about and are uh, the ones that kind of confounded me so I hope that you're curious to hear them too and then I thought I'd close with a, just a brief sample of the book Top 19 phrases to make your poem go viral. These are in order, by the way.
2: <laughs>
1: this is the will make you when you see, till you see what happens when. Wait till you. Here are the you see what you need to. This is what that will make what this guy, what happened to like a normal in the world. What he did looks like a. I've ever seen, how to make, blow your mind. All right, let's see if this works. Sarah Siston is. Remember when all your posts were an affirmation? Sarah Siston is blank. Back then, I tried to write a story using only posts that began, Sarah Siston is. This is 2008, you remember. Of course, it only lasted a day or two before the guy who I knew was a terrible idea started inserting himself. He and Sarah Sisson are now friends. At first I thought I was imagining it. He is into it. He is thinking about you. I thought it was wishful thinking. I know, Facebook. I've always had a bit of a thing for a terrible idea. He is not trying to communicate with you via Facebook status message. I over ignored him tried to continue. I didn't want him to ruin the, he's telling you you're cute. No, not you. You. Story. But I liked how his words felt when they crept across edges. He is using Facebook to communicate with you. He is drawing with green ink on your skin. He is going to make out with you. He is holding his hand over a candle and touching your arm. He is the smell of hops and lavender. He's excited about seeing you. This is all only on you, Facebook. He is because. Except some of these things went on to happen offline. He is why not. He is 97, 98, 99, 100, and some other things too. He is going to make a mix CD for you. There is a name for what happened that I can't call it. There are nouns I don't know how to claim. He is following up. He is wondering... How soon is too soon? Like, 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 like Facebook like who like do you like tell like about like your like like, like like, like like, like 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 like, like like, 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 I imagine it's awful being needed all the time. He is hey Facebook, I want to know why not is without is, we lost the continuing present, he is over it. We lost the means to corroborate ourselves each day. He is exit stage left. I lost a story, or the chance for it, or the having written it. He is interested. I want a language that can't be invaded. He is sometimes a jerk. I want Sarah system is. This one is a little bit lighter, and it's called Geo-Immersive Data Producers. Sometimes it seems like we've been waiting our whole lives for the Google camera car. On our dates, we, won, we, we run drills. Quick, the car is less than a block away. Do you know where your zebra mask is? After our dates, I lock myself in the bathroom and practice IRL emoticons in the mirror. We are each collecting through at least 15 lenses all the time. My selfie arm never reaches high enough. I'm imagining myself as a satellite. Most streets don't change overnight, she whispers. Think of all the hard drives. She reads me parts of the internet, like how to get hired as a street view driver. We've all fantasized about it, this says, working for Google, getting paid for driving. I hear more through her chest, my ear against it, than I do through the air, my other ear. You can tell from our profiles how curated and in love we are. Today it happened. I wasn't ready. Of course, such moments never go as intended. For starters, it was just the Bing car. I was alone, and I couldn't think of what to do without her. All that registered was my obligation. We were counting on me to destabilize the system. Nothing was weird or important enough. What would be enough? In each culminating instant, I did nothing. Even though I had more than a block and a half to prepare, well, the cameras performed an awkward alley U-turn and turned right and passed the bus stop where I was waiting for the superloop. I did nothing. All I did was auto-blur my face, covering every emoticon with both hands and imagining this was a ten-fingered flip-off I didn't have the guts to give. <laughs> but I want to know if Bing will blur my hands. Based on my shape, will it believe that I have a face? The website say I'll have to wait months to find out. Laptop on her pillow talk. We have developed cutting edge face and license plate blurring technology. We will blur the entire car, house, or person when a request is made for additional blurring. <laughs> I want to know the algorithm's rhythms that see my face like a license plate. I want a self that is at least my whole skin. My body revenue for your ad clicks, her body blur. What the fuck's up being anyway, she comforts me on G Chat hours later. I close all my windows because it's too hard. Go for a drive. I try to think of what would be enough. Do I carry a large sign with me wherever I go, waiting to be blessed by intersection? Start composing signs inside myself. This is taken without consent. I have a celebration and a protest. This is a love letter not enough. It's the same day, and I'm still driving when I see it again, same vain car, it's slow work covering everywhere. It passes east to my west at the light, Stare straight ahead, do nothing, again and again and again. It cannot respond to my signs, I still hear the internet in her voice, most are contractors, Not even Google employees get the privilege to drive around taking pictures of every street they find. This piece um, is still in process as of 2 a.m. this morning, but it's (laughs) (laughs) um, an ongoing exploration of a kind of um, self-interrogation of my own work. Screens for each other. Take color, add time, and trouble, Kaleidosimal tumultuous. A kaleidoscope distributes light into a network, weaves sparkling points into a veil, clanking happenstance, beauty, and mess. David Brewster was researching polarization when he invented the kaleidoscope, the phrase he invented. Polarization frames light waves by controlling the direction of their oscillation. It takes what fits the grid. It shunts the rest. Our LCD screens are almost all polarized. Confirm this by wearing polarized sunglasses and turning your head 45 degrees while using your laptop. The screen goes black. We got accustomed to these screens. We can't tell we're looking through. Layer two veils to lift the veil. We find moray patterns wherever lines layer and shift when a screen moves across another screen when someone wears stripes on television. This vibrating effect tips us off to secret screens all around us. Something here in the pattern coming through, learning to tune in. Lord Byron made kaleidoscope a verb to move in shifting patterns. The phrase, Lord Byron made. Take two pocket combs stroked against each other, lines vibrating to life. This brightness is a form of listening. It requires movement in relation. A moiré pattern is also called two-source interference. Within each of us, even more moiré, intersecting influences and optical illusions, retinal and other diffractions, our discourses, our devices amplifying or canceling out. Two people are already a kaleidoscope. The wave-particle duality, a kind of incomprehensible us. We become screens for each other. The dream of virtual reality is all lovers at once, all history, all places at once. Fear of missing out. It's fear of death, which is fear of time, which is fear of change, aka motion, which is fear of interference. Are these multimediations more than just manipulations toward an exhaustive self? As if eventually I'll cover everything, say everything reach everyone, as if eventually I'll be enough, a text. diffractive reading sips text through one another to see what new optics appear. Diffractive writing could be a text that invents kaleidoscopes. What other scopes, what other prisms might be employed? The phrase prism, its top search result is now the government surveillance program. But there are many other ways to scatter light. So just a couple of quick pieces from some of ourselves. Um, As Kenzer generously explained, it's an exploration of community and everything takes place in the first-person plural. We know what they say about us, and we start to believe them. We are selfish and unmotivated. We are directionless, unfocused, unrealistic. We are too picky, too needy, too negligent, too lazy, too ambitious, unqualified, entitled. We are shrill, hysterical. We are bossy. We are a leaderless movement. We aren't making any sense. They'd address our frustration if only we weren't so frustrated. They can't talk to us when we're like this. We are overreacting. Our timing is terrible. We are terrible. In bed. We are terrible at getting out of bed. We are still trying to lose the baby fat. We think it's so easy. We think we know everything. We think we'll be young forever. We are impossible to live with. We want too much. We are too much. We are nothing. We accomplish nothing. This is how. Step one, have an idea. Step two, let its casual what if suddenly explode into what if we really did. Step three, remember we are in the world, that tomorrow we must work, that somewhere someone is expecting something of us. Abandon common sense revolutions. We are powerless. We participate only in perpetuating the attitude that participation is pointless. What could we say that would make a difference? It is the heartbreak of harmony that each note is different, that our voices must combine to be heard. But we talk over each other, crying, hear me, hear, me, can you hear me now? We are silent. What does that say about us? We don't know what it says about us. Nor what it says about us that we are the kind of people who think it important what things say about us. The kind of people who think it important what kind of people we are. We learn too much about the cosmos and then find ourselves interchangeable, all our separate ticks and idiosyncrasies transferable. We get baffled by our own responsibility to this insignificance, by our fractured fractaling. We are not snowflakes. Or if we are snowflakes, it is only our cumulative effect that makes a difference. How do we begin to cover the land? We may be unique, but are still only white spots tugged down by gravity to melt against the ground in a suspended instant of uncapturable, unendurable magic. We still like each other. I'm as surprised as you are. Surprised and too well, shrugged shoulders as though everything were nothing, and is, because all we can say about the universe is that it is, big. All we can say about each other is nods to the wilderness. Ground grows beneath my feet, so I must learn to expect hope. Though beneath feet, before ground, is vulnerability. We've been trained to ignore the ground, both what is solid about it and what shakes. These tricks keep the inevitability of heart attacks and buses crushing us from crushing us, keep curveballs from curving every permutation into useless calculus. But let us find the lines that curve toward us, and let our feet be surprised at running the ground. Let our necks crane our shoulders unshrugged, so that the sky can fill the hollow between with a kind of awe that undoes molecules. We will all be hit by buses no matter the inbound or outbound line, no purpose in prediction. But from time, until then, we have still, and we still like each other, and other such surprises, the ground beneath our feet. Thank you.
4: <laughs> well you know what I I I can not wait to yeah. Um, if you want to wait around later, I can definitely give you a chance I would go just to my lecture in um, yeah. a few minutes. Thank yeah. <laughs>
2: you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> I don't <it>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. know. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's like, that's So,
4: this is going uh, that's <laughs>
2: Actually, I know. I know. I know. Hi, Brett. I love you. <laughs> 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 Did oh, good. strip Yeah, we're going to go strip art. He's so, he's such a hot blocker next I to I have never had that This kid will not give up. My
0: wife. I said, i like, <people laughs> wake I like, it. It like yeah, it. You come to me. You come to both of us. I, no. yeah, exactly. I don't know?
4: Can't touch yeah. can't and I can't it's
2: I know yeah. the He's kicked me out, the kicked me out the uh, of the He
4: rolls and tosses. He's a like, the I That's like, yeah. yeah. the only reason to And so i Because now there's room on the back for him to the And not Like, actually, <laughs> um, um, I never, don't
2: know, <like> <laughs> That's, that's why <laughs> I watched but, uh, it. No, 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 no. i like, That's like a yeah, that, Right? Exactly. right? Like, oh, so you're not like, yeah. necessarily, like, fighting I I you No, I think I did you ask me No, because I wanted to <laughs> I'm like, I would like to ask you but
4: I'm actually like, I
2: appreciate
4: <look> like <laughs> it. <laughs> I appreciate i like, I'm i